When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor, Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy to digest information. And now, here's today's episode. So now that we talk about patient has central sleep apnea, um, how do you decide what's going to be the ideology? Of course, the history and the physical and buzzwords. But, you know, for board purposes, I put them into two broad categories. Okay, number one, if you do an arterial blood gas during the day, they tend to be hypercapnic. Of course, on the other side, if you do an arterial blood gas during the day, they tend to be, you know, normal capnic, eucapnic, or a little bit on the lower side, hypocapnic. So if they're going to be having an elevated CO2, what's my differential diagnosis? Well, it could be a neuromuscular disorder. We didn't mention things, things like Lou Gehrig's disease known as ALS, horrible disease. I wish it on no one. Myasthenia gravis, you know, maybe they'll give you a buzzword of someone that has ocular myasthenia with ptosis. Don't forget that edrophonium test. You guys call that tensilon testing. Don't forget they are associated with what? Thymomas. God forbid, things like muscular dystrophy. There's so many subtypes like Duchenne's and Beck's, you know. But what I see on the board exams quite a bit is chronic opioid use, you know. And for the sleep boards, they want to know why does these opioids, what's the physiology of inducing the central sleep apnea? Because it works on these new receptors in the pre-Botzinger complex. So new receptors in the pre-Botzinger complex. And that's what induces that central sleep apnea. And when you see central sleep apnea secondary to chronic opioid use, we call the central sleep apnea breathing pattern ataxic breathing, or another name we call it as biots breathing. And what a surprise, we see it mainly during what? Non-REM sleep because of decreased chemoreceptor sensitivity. And I kind of like this pearl right here. So, I mean, if you like that one over there, take your phone, take a picture of it. Uh, what are going to be some of the risk factors for getting opioid-induced central sleep apnea? Number one, it's going to be dose-dependent, right? So more of the do- higher the dose you give, the more that someone's going to be uh, getting predisposed to the central sleep apnea. And the other one, I totally got this wrong on, on my boards, is that I always thought, you know, the heavier you are, the bigger, the larger the BMI, that you'll be more predisposed to getting hypercapnia and central sleep apnea, but it's actually the lower normal BMI, okay? So that's a nice pearl when we talk about the board exams in itself. And how do we treat, you know, central sleep apnea secondary to chronic opioid use? Well, number one, of course, 
easier said than done. You know, you want to, you know, decrease the opioid dose or get them off the medication. Easier said than done. Have some people use CPAP. Sure, you know what I mean? It may reduce DHI, but very uh, not really effective because what's the main problem? It's under the category of what? Central sleep apnea. You need something to kind of trigger the vent. You know what I mean? This person is not even triggering. They're not even breathing. Therefore, what do we think about? Well, you could use bi-level with ST that's spontaneous in time. The time is going to be very important because it's going to be, you know, central sleep apnea. Or, you know, you can use ASV, which is another type of, you know, bi-level device in adaptive servo ventilation, which is what ASV stands for. You know, it, it, it has a limited role in central sleep apnea, but of course, I got to say this, if you have CHF with a reduced ejection fraction, definitely lower than 40%, you definitely want to avoid what? ASV because of data that showed it may increase, increase what? Mortality. All right. So if you are non-hypercapnic or you mean a little on the lower side, hypocapnic, what's my differential? Well, here we go. I mean, could it be these treatment immersion uh, central sleep apnea? Sure. What do we do in most cases? Just watch it. Watching is, a, is you know, probably the right answer on the board exams just after maybe a few weeks to a month that a lot of these, you know, CPAP and new centrals are going to kind of pan out and the patient's going to be okay. Um, High altitude, what's the answer? Well, maybe come down from high altitude. <laughs> um, Sheen Stokes respiration, what's the answer? Treat the heart failure, you know what I mean? Put them on drugs that reduce mortality. What are those drugs? Well, I'm not gonna give you a whole cardiology spiel, but beta blockers, you know, ACE inhibitors. I'm sure everyone nowadays loves Entresto, right? Which is what the siloprin inhibitor combined with that ARB. So sure, you folks probably know CHF management better than I do, but treat the underlying cause, okay? Um, and of course, where are we here? It's gonna be this primary central sleep apnea, which is that diagnosis of what? Exclusion. So once again, I mean, maybe I, I got a little overboard on, in this question, but you know, central sleep apnea is a gimme on the sleep medicine boards. So they're definitely gonna nail you with this. I wanted to spend some time with that, but time to mix it up, time to mix it up. So we have a 63 year old dude with a BMI of 43. He visits an outpatient sleep clinic with symptoms of daytime sleepiness and, and loud snoring that have developed over the last few years. He has not had any hospitalizations in the past year. His ECRA score is 11. Uh, exam reveals that his neck circumference is 43 centimeters, and he has some trace pedal edema. He has normal muscle strength. Um, sleep testing demonstrates an AHI of 65, 95% of which are obstructive events, and only 5% are centrals and the mean O2 set is around 89%. They do spirometry, and the FEV1 FVC ratio is normal at 88%. Uh, the FEV1 is normal at 85%. The FVC is normal at 82%, and patient gets an arterial blood gas, and the pH is 7.4, which is normal. The PaCO2 is, oh, oh, it's a little elevated at what? 51, you know what I mean? Um, the PO2 is 60, and the bicarb is 30. So, I mean, it's kind of tricky, but it seems to me that there's this nice little balance between the bicarb being elevated and the CO2 being elevated. So maybe the kidneys are trying to help out for the CO2 being high. Let's find out, let's find out. Um, so, or maybe there's multiple things going on here. Who knows? I mean, it's hard to say because if I had a primary 
respiratory alkalosis, primary respiratory alkalosis, you know what I mean? Then I would have a, you know, a metabolic, you know, acidosis, you know what I mean? But here we have a respiratory acidosis. So if you have a respiratory acidosis, you'd get a metabolic alkalosis. And that's what we see here, the bicarb being elevated, a metabolic alkalosis, and the CO2 being high, which implies a respiratory acidosis. Sorry, I could have over jumped in on that, but you know, there's going to be people taking the board exams everywhere, whether it's going to be psychiatry or neurology, you know, so it's good to always kind of go over some of the uh, arterial blood gas information. So what PAP modality should be recommended for the initial management of this patient who has a uh, apnea hypopnea index of what? 65. All right. Well, what do you feel? Is it going to be A? Should we just do some standard CPAP? Should it be B? Should we do a bi-level called adaptive servo-ventilation, which we kind of talked about earlier? Should we do C, a bi-level in a spontaneous and timed mode? We've been talking about that. Or where did this come from? Should we do a bi-level where the inspiratory breaths are something called VAPs, volume-assured pressure support? So what does that mean, everyone? It means it's volume assured, so you kind of dial in the volume. So if someone needs a tidal volume of 500, I dial in 500, and the pressure support breaths will adjust to make sure I get that 500. Um, so I'll leave it to you folks. Just yell out, what do you, what do you folks want to do? What do you want to do here, you know? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could answer all these right away. I see you guys going to the chat and everything. I love it. So the answer is, well, you got to pick. I, I know, I know, I, I heard it. Someone said BPAP with the ST mode because they're hypercapnic. I mean, I read your mind. I read your mind. But the answer is C, CPAP. Now, all right, don't get angry. Yes, I heard someone saying foul language. There's no need to say any foul language. So the answer is, why is it CPAP? So let's talk about that. So number one, what does this patient have over here? What am I hinting at? You know what I mean? Yes. This patient may have OHS, obesity hypoventilation syndrome. So number one, I want you to realize that how do you diagnose obesity hypoventilation syndrome? Well, part of it is to remember it's a diagnosis of exclusion. You have to exclude other things that can cause the patient to be hypercapnic. And what is one of those things, at least being a pulmonologist that can cause you to be hypercapnic is what? Obstructive lung disease, specifically what? COPD and emphysema. Now, when you look at this spirometry, everyone, it's what? Normal. So you kind of ruled out, per se, other causes of hypercapnia. So now you have somebody who's hypercapnic. Why? The CO2 is 51. So you confirm hypercapnia on, on the arterial blood gas. And the BMI is definitely above 35. So for sure, he has OHS. Now, learners, does everyone with OHS have OSA? No, they don't. They really don't I mean they most do, maybe 90%, but not everyone. So of course, when you have OHS and you haven't done the workup, you definitely wanna see it has OSA. So now the question becomes, if they have OSA, what do we use for non-invasive? Well, it really depends on what's driving the symptoms, what's driving the CO2. So if someone comes in and has only um, mild OSA, the hypercapnia has really been driven by what? The OHS. So what do we use? That's where we use the BiPAP, BPAP with the spontaneous and timed, you know. Um, but if we talk, or just BiPAP in general, it's not wrong to do that, you know. Or if they have 
a high amount, a moderate to high amount of these obstructive apneas, a very high HI, what do we uh, use now? We use what? CPAP, because what's really driving the CO2 being elevated and the symptoms, it's really the OSA. So because this HI is elevated at 65, I mean, you gotta pick what? CPAP, good. Now, ASV, sure, it stabilizes the CO2. That's why we use it in some central apneas, but it doesn't blow off the CO2. It stabilizes it, right? So I wouldn't use adaptive servo ventilation here. You know, VAPS, you know, picking a volume, you know, VAPS is great for people who have neuromuscular disease, people who have obesity hypoventilation syndrome, or they may not tolerate, you know, um, something like a BPAP because you're just not getting the volumes you wanted. Then you could think about a VAPS, but we didn't even try, uh, you know, uh, BPAP in this gentleman, nor is it indicated in this gentleman at this point. Because of the HI of 65, the answer is going to be what? CPAP. So let's talk about OHS, you know what I mean? So what are gonna be some of the physiology behind this? Well, they are at high risk for cardiovascular disease or high risk for pulmonary arterial hypertension. You know, they could have a restrictive chest physiology based upon the obesity. They could be hypoxic and hypercapnic like these individuals. So when we talk about the guidelines, now, you know, they, they love guidelines on your board exams. This is from the American Thoracic Society. And what does it say when you want to, you know, make the diagnosis for OHS? Well, sure, you'll think about it in someone with an elevated BMI, but how do you per se screen for it? It's based on your pretest probability. So if someone has a very high pretest probability for having OHS, well, you could go straight to arterial blood gas and measure the PaCO2. And if the PaCO2 is elevated, well, you made the diagnosis. Now, if they have a low to intermittent probability, well, you don't have to do an arterial blood gas. What you can do is just do simple venous blood work, like a basic metabolic panel, and you're going to get a bicarb. And if the bicarb is greater than 27, well, that's going to really indicate that they're likely going to have OHS or having that CO2 retention because what did we just say back here is the natural job of the kidney is that when you have a respiratory acidosis, you would probably end up with a metabolic you got it. You guys are pros now. Alkalosis. And that's what we mentioned about maybe doing the bicarb in the venous blood as kind of like a screening for low to intermittent probability. Now, if you want to treat what is going to be the PAP therapy of recommendation. So if you're going to have someone with definitely moderate to severe, definitely severe, well, CPAP is going to be first line therapy for the reasons we just talked about. You know what I mean? Uh, don't get me wrong. If this is going to be an individual who just got discharged from the hospital, it's definitely reasonable when somebody just got discharged from the hospital to do a non-invasive ventilation, such as a bi-level device. So when we talk about where, you know, these clinical phenotypes, which is, you know, the CPAP responders, why would you CPAP first versus the ones who don't, the bottom line point is look for the severe OSA, CPAP, mild OSA, you're going to use a bi-level device. And what causes hypercapnia in general when you have OHS? Well, it's multiple factor, multiple things. Number one, it's the chest wall, right? You're obese. You're not going to get that nice chest wall compliance. That leads to what? Hypercapnia. You know, impaired gas exchange leads to what? Hypercapnia. 
keeping that upper airway open. You can't blow off the what? CO2 leads to what? Hypercapnia. And all these things, you know, add to the work of breathing, respiratory load. And I put this here to say that, you know, hypercapnia and hypoxia are not two individual things. There's a lot of overlap there, okay? So of course, when we talk about someone who comes in with OHS with OSA, look at this diagram right here. What are we addressing? The OSA by using what? CPAP if it's gonna be severe. Outstanding. And why did I put this here about the hypercapnia? You know, I mentioned for the uh, question about central sleep apnea, about why do we see uh, central sleep apnea more in non-REM sleep and not as much in REM? Well, it's because of this. We talked about decreased chemoreceptor responsiveness. And look at how in REM sleep, you really got to crank up that CO2 to really increase that what? Minute ventilation. And that's why we see it more during what? Non-REM sleep, such as N2 and N3. This is going to say that if someone comes in where you have a, uh, a normal or lower HI, yeah, non-invasive, start off with a bi-level, or you could do bi-level with a backup rate because this, this is not central sleep apnea, so the backup rate is not necessary. And if that doesn't work, then you could do what? Something like the AVAPS, that volume-assured pressure support. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.